0: Good morning. Is it a good morning? It is. But good mornings are not always absent of pain, are they? They're good because the Gospel is still the Gospel, God is still God, hope is still hope, and His life is still life. So even in the midst of the weirdness. Not an inconvenient weirdness, it's a tragic weirdness. We're going to continue our journey. How appropriate for us as his people to be talking about what does it mean to be the community of eternal life. That's what we're in the midst of right now and we're going to unpack it a little bit. There are a few things that are unusual this morning. Some we've already acknowledged, then some that are on not nearly a serious of a level is that you're seeing that I'm sitting up here and you've never seen me sit or be still before, ever. Uh, Our camera guys are really excited because they know I'm gonna be sitting the entire time and therefore they're not gonna have to work to try to follow and keep up as I bound around the stage. Uh, The reason for that is some news I got on Thursday. I've been struggling with my knee for a couple of months. It's being progressively worse and worse. And uh, the doctor thought I had a meniscal tear and we were gonna get it taken care of at the end of the summer. And then I called him last week. I was in California and said, I am hobbling. I cannot, I, I, I can't really, I can't walk at all. He said, come in, we'll do an MRI, so Thursday he called me after the MRI, and I was on the way to the airport, and he said, Matt, good news is you don't have a meniscal tear, bad news is you've got an impaction fracture in your femur uh, right above the knee. It happened skiing a while back, I just didn't, hadn't paid attention to the uh, impact of it, I guess. And he said, you need to get the weight off of it immediately. I said, well, I'm headed to the airport. Uh, he said, get a wheelchair. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. Um, Gave me great appreciation for those of you who are in wheelchairs. Uh, I try not to take too many things for granted, but I think I take walking without a limp for granted. So now I'm on crutches here for a couple of three weeks, we'll see. Uh, So it's up here, I'll stay seated. Uh, But I also want the, the crutch to provide an image for you, a metaphor. Just as I've got a bow up here, a target bow, to provide a metaphor as well. The two are related. And the two are even related with some of what we're dealing with as his body right now. So let me remind you of this journey we're on called becoming a community of eternal life. We're already that community, we're figuring out how to do that. We're in about four weeks where we're talking about spiritual gifts. The last couple of weeks, Pastor Joel has talked about those of understanding that our gifting, our wiring, the way that you're wired makes a difference in our vocations and our relationships and our schedules. I've begun to dig down in terms of types of spiritual gifts that are given to a person when they come become a follower of Christ motivational gifts manifestation gifts office gifts and so forth and it's the relationship of those gifts is we're exercising those learning to be this community of eternal life which is where we are today and the reason that I've got a bow up here is because of a quote of one of my favorite devotional writers. Spiritual gifts are all about us being active, not passive, in our engagement, in our walk with one another. Oswald Chambers, if you've never read his devotional called, My Utmost For His Highest, you need to. Brilliant. One of the famous uh, writers from last century, and he wrote this. He said, a saint's life, a saint meaning somebody who is a follower of Christ. Um, Somebody, it's not somebody that got canonized by the church. He's referring it to in the biblical sense. Scriptures call all of you uh, saints. So you you can, if if your name is Brian, have your family start calling you St. Brian. If you're Emily, St. Emily. You guys can call me St. Matthew if you would like. Um, He says, a saint's life is in the hands of God as a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. A saint's life. We become saints by the grace of God. Panic not, I'm not gonna put an apple on anybody's head. But I've got a target arrow here and a bow. I want you to look at these as you hear Chambers' words and read them. A saint's life is in the hands of God as a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. He stretches and strains as he bends that bow back. And every now and again, the follower of Jesus says, I can't stand anymore. But God does not heed. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. He's got a greater purpose for you and me than just our comfort. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight and then he lets fly towards the target. It's an image of you and me being arrows in the bow of God. That's what spiritual gifts is all about. So many of us think that the gospel is just about healing. It is about healing but it's not only about healing. It's also about being used by God. The gospel is crutch, it's also arrow. So what we're going to do is take a look at the epistle to the Romans. We're going to cover it right now. Take the rest of the day to do that, just a kidding, but just a moment, let me take a review. Romans is one of the great books of the New Testament. Paul had never been to Rome so he's not addressing any particular pastoral concerns, he dives right in. If you want an overview of the Gospel, go to Romans. He has this brilliant introduction, then he talks about every one of us, religious, irreligious, no matter who you are, we all are sinners, we all are victims of the fall, and we all demonstrate that we're victims of the fall by our fallen behavior. We're all in need of a savior. We're all in need of healing. And he talks about the cross of Christ and justification by faith. In chapter five, verse one, he says, therefore having been justified. So he's assuming the reader from then on is a, is a, is a follower of Christ. And then he goes through some, some objections, some questions, talks about the spirit-filled life in chapter eight, chapter nine, 10, 11, dealing with God's sovereignty and sovereign grace. And then chapter 12 makes a shift. For 11 chapters he's been talking about crutch, how God comes to us and heals our humanity. Perfectly no, we're still this side of the new heaven and the new earth, but he's restoring our humanity. He's, now he starts talking about arrow. It's not that the two are separate, cause of the healing in my life I can become useful to God. Useful to you, I don't get healed totally, we're always in process, but too often we come to Christ just for the healing part, and we don't come to him for the arrow part. That's what makes churches so anemic, makes communities of Christ followers a little sickly because they're always coming around just with a a crutch healing mentality and not a being used mentality. I don't know if you've ever heard the difference between a bucket and a pipe, but when you're just in the realm of crutch, it's con- conduit, it's container without being a conduit. As Kaylee was saying earlier, God has lavished His grace on us. But he gives us his grace, he gives us his healing so that we might become an arrow. He gives us his grace so instead of being a bucket of what he does in our lives, we become a pipe so that grace flows through us to the people around us, to one another and to our cities, to our communities. So I want you to take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse one. If you've got your Bible, turn to it. If you don't, take a look at the screens. He says, therefore, and as some of you have heard before, probably, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you want to look and see what it's there for. And it's there for a reason. It's there for to refer to everything he's been talking about for 11 chapters, describing the healing that comes in the gospel. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in and, and view of the grace, the mercy, the, the healing of God, This is the moment right after that that, that phrase That the the epistle to Romans Switches from crutch to arrow He says as a result of this healing As a result of the grace that's been poured out in you He says I urge you to offer your bodies Offer your entire existence As a living sacrifice Holy and pleasing to God This is your true and proper worship So what we're going to do is Talk about arrow. We don't ignore healing, we continue to do that. I will will need this my entire journey until the new heaven and new earth when I'm fully whole once again. But I'm becoming whole in Christ. But now it's a point where we're not just doing the crutch, we're doing the arrow. What does it look like to be an arrow in God's bow? I obviously, Paul is saying, you've got to do something. You've got to bring the arrow of your life to the bow of God. How do I do that? What's it look like? We're going to go through the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. Here's the overview, and I want you to imagine five fingers holding this arrow. It's with five fingers that I put it in this bow. Not just with one, not just a couple, but with five, decisively saying, God, I want to be used. That's what it looks like to begin to exercise my spiritual gift. Take a look at the five real quick, and then we're gonna go back through them a little bit more slowly, but not much. Finger number one is when I look up to God and I worship. It's in verse one. I say, God, you have got me. Finger number two, it's when I look down into scripture and orient myself in the midst of a fallen world. What does the word of God say? As I'm trying to figure out my role in all of this, what's God's word say? Third finger, as I look inside me and I reflect, who am I, how's God made me, how's God wired me? The fourth finger, I start looking out to you and saying, What's it mean to relate with you as we're fellow members of Christ's body? Fifth finger is very important. That's when I look ahead, beyond the walls of just our community as the body of Christ, how are we going to be used in this city, in our neighborhoods? Activate. So there's worship. But it doesn't stop, there's orienting to who God is, there's reflecting on who I am, there's relating with you as the body of Christ and then all together we're, we're being activated to, for good in our culture. So let's go back through those a little bit more slowly but not too much. First finger, I'm to worship God. For me to grab this area, to submit the air of my life to the, the bow of God, to head for His, whatever target He wants to put me in, it involves me first and foremost worshiping in response to who He is. Remember, uh, look, look again at verse 1, chapter 12, therefore I urge you, the word that He's using there by the way is the word, it, it's an intru- it's, it's, it's a word, it's a strong appeal, but it's an authoritative appeal. He's not saying, hey, if you got time, He says, listen, because of the healing, In light of that, the healing that's happening in your life, give it all to God. Worship Him. And we looked a few weeks ago that worship is not just something that happens. uh, On a Sunday morning, worship is all of life where I actively, in all of life, respond to the worth of who God is and what He does. Remember us talking about that a few weeks ago? If not, just lie. You'll make me feel better, all right? Worship is my active, all of life response to the worth of who He is and what He does. And that involves all of who I am. It's me giving all of my life, dedicating myself to him and saying, God, I realize I am, I am an arrow and I'm made to be in your bow. He heals our humanity so that we might glorify him in all that we do. Mark chapter 12, verse 28, one of the teachers of law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God when it's convenient. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Give Him everything. As a living sacrifice, saying, God, thank you for the way that you're restoring me. You're bringing wholeness and purpose to my life. I'm yours. I'm not just going to take this in and be a bucket. I want to now be used. I want what you're pouring into my life to flow through me as a pipe into the lives of other people. So it's worship. That's the first finger. But the second finger I use to grab this arrow of my life, to put it in the bow of God, is the Word of God. I look to Scripture. And I orient. I orient my life according to what pleases Him, which is going to be the most fulfilling to me. Look at verse 2. Do not conform. In other words, don't be pressed into the pattern, the cadence, the priorities, the values of a fallen world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And over and over, Scripture is referring to that, that renewal of my mind happens with the Word of God. This is not just a manual for Christianity, it's a manual for help the humanity. What does it mean to be whole? What does it mean to love? What are the priorities of God? And so often when we're keeping this arrow from the bow of God, we're living according to our own cadence, at least I do this, and it leads to, I think it's gonna to lead to fulfillment, it leads to the opposite. But when I begin to orient my life according to his priorities, all of a sudden I I, I start realizing there's a purpose beyond me. Then he says, keep going with verse two of chapter 12 there, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. So many of us, we want to do God's will, but we don't spend any time in the Word. And and it's meditating, it's on it, it's it's memorizing it, it's listening to it, it's studying it, it's, it's hearing it taught, it's teaching it to one another, where God begins to shape us according to what's really important and the price tags that are really important. Our culture puts price tags on things that are out of sync. I remember when I was a kid. Uh, we uh, snuck into a, a, a little, uh, one didn't sneak, we just walked right in to a little, uh, uh, they called them five and dime stores now. Now they call them 20 and $25 stores. Uh, but back then they were five and dime stores. and There were a few items that my, my friends and I wanted, and, and, um, but they were too expensive. So we had the brilliant idea, let's just change the price tax. Who, they won't ever figure it out. Just because we bring the football up and. It's 39 cents, they won't know any different. Of course they did, and our parents found out about our economic uh, learning curve. But we're always doing that, and when I get into the Word of God, all of a sudden the price tags start getting shifted, because what we do normally in our culture esteems is invaluable that which God says is valuable, and we esteem as valuable that, that which God says is invaluable. And all of a sudden I begin to orient. There's a third finger with which I grab the arrow of my life and put it in the bow of God, put it into his hands for him to use me. And it's not just looking up to him in worship, it's not look, just looking to the word to orient. Uh, thirdly, it's looking inside, looking at myself and reflecting on who I am. Uh, go back to the text, verse three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. He says, hey, listen, take a look at who you are. At some of what Joel was referring to last week, pay attention to how you react to crisis. Your reaction might give evidence of where your gifting is. How do you react to a particular need? What irritates you? Those are all indicators, and he'll go over some more as well. How am I wired? But here's our tendency. Most of us tend to either overestimate ourselves or underestimate. We overestimate saying we're the gift, God's gift to the whole world. We can do everything. Or we underestimate and say, I can't do anything. I have nothing to bring to the table here. Both of those, by the way, are a form of pride. Not just the first one. But instead, it's to be able to say, this is what I'm good at. This is the way God has wired me. This is why I'm in this community. Several years ago, my wife and sons and I were in uh, the, uh, uh, the northern part of Michigan in the summertime. It's a little bit cooler there than it is here in the summer. We're in a beautiful place called Glen Arbor, a little small town, and every morning early I'd go to a coffee shop. It's called the Leelanau Coffee Company. And I noticed a piano in there the first morning I was there. I thought, that's, that's interesting to have a piano in a coffee shop. And then I discovered it was, it's an all-day coffee shop, and they shift their menu into the evening. The next day, as I was waiting in line, I noticed right above that keyboard uh, on the piano a plaque. And I went over and read it. And here's what it said. In memoriam, Andy Anderson. 1919 to 2007, he lived to be 88 years old. Whoever Andy was, I didn't know him. But this 88 year old man was being commemorated with his plaque. And here's what it said. There were stories that he was a scientist or a businessman of local repute somewhere around Akron, Ohio, or maybe a sailor. And maybe he had something to do with the war. Mainly though, Andy was the piano player. I started asking around. And Andy had just had a gift in that small town, and that's what he was known for. Take a look at that, insert your name in the last line, and since your present tense, change the was to an is, and say mainly though, insert your name, mainly though, Matt is the, I should know who I am, you should know who you are. It could be more than one thing, but it's not going to be a ton. It's going to be a few things that you're uniquely wired for, that I'm uniquely wired for. So it's reflecting on that, and being a student of, of, of me, not in a narcissistic sense, but in a stewardship sense. In fact, um, you know, here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it's the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You've been given a gift for the common good. Mainly, though, he or she does this. It's our job to begin to figure that out. As we're looking to God in worship, as we're looking to the scriptures to orient us, we then reflect on ourselves. But then there's a fourth finger with which we grab the arrow and put it into the bow of God. It's where we look to each other and relate with one another as the body of Christ. Saying that's a weird way to put it. It's a great metaphor. It's throughout scripture. Go back to the text, verse 4 and verse 5 of Romans 12. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We're body. There's hands, there's feet. Their ears, their hangnails. There's, there. Just kidding about that last one. But we all have a role. We're all part of His body. When you go stand in front of a mirror, what do you notice first? You might not even pay attention to it. But I guarantee you, one thing that you're noticing right away is there's just one of you, and all the pieces are together. I don't ever get up in the morning, look at the mirror, and then say, "Oh my goodness, where's my arm?" Oh yeah, come back over here. It's a unit it's connected all to the head and what happens in one part of my body impacts the rest I mean last night my knee was hurting in the middle of the night and you know what the rest of my body cared so much it stayed up with my knee (laughs) why because we're all one there's a unity about who I am. I mean, and my, my hand doesn't decide to go off. Back when my knee's okay, my foot doesn't wake up and say, hey guys, I'm gonna go for a run. The rest of you stay in bed. I'll be back by breakfast time. We're one, there's a unity. But here's something else you notice when you're staring in the mirror. It's not just that I'm all one unit, but there are many different diverse parts. I, I'm so glad that my hand is here and, and, and not out of the side of my head. I've got a I've got a fantastic view so does our all our all of our pastoral staff our worship leaders as we look out to you it's a wonderful view you're a good-looking group of people but you're different not different in a bad sense you're just different you do not look like you that's a good thing but here's the deal we're still one Ephesians chapter 3 verse uh, chapter 4 verse 3 and 4 he says Paul tells this church in Ephesus he says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit we're not we're not trying to attain the unity here we're trying to keep unity that the and whenever there's disunity in the body it's because we're running away from what is there because of his spirit he says keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called so we're one, but we're different, and we all have a role. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. So hear this. There's something very unique that you bring to this larger body. You bring to the smaller bodies of those, those distributed churches, those personal churches, those home groups and neighborhoods and offices. There's a body there. It's unity, but there's also diversity and a specific cooperation that's to happen. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Aren't you glad that you don't get up in the morning and look in the mirror and all you see is an ear? Our, our beauty as a body and as human beings Is all the, ver- the various parts The same is true for us as his people Now if the foot should say Because I'm not a hand I do not belong to the body It would not for that reason Stop being part of the body If the ear should say Because I'm not an eye I do not belong to the body It would not for that reason Stop being part of the body If the whole body were an eye Where would your, uh, the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear Where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And so we all have a role to play. There's something very unique that you bring to the table. For us to be the body of Christ in this city. in whatever city that God has placed you, whatever neighborhood... And you and me being stewards of this, you and me entrusting our arrows to the bow of God, is not just a little optional thing, it's absolutely vital for His glory to be realized on this planet, for our fulfillment as human beings. As I speak right now, my son Andrew is not in a warm building like this, or cool building. He's not in in a realm of comfort, temperature-wise. Some of you know that he's a first lieutenant in the Air Force uh, up in Fairbanks, Alaska. He graduated from the Air Force Academy three years ago. He's about to be stationed in Salt Lake City at the end of the summer. Uh, But one of the reasons he wanted to be up in Fairbanks, and so he put that on his, his list of requests and he actually got it. He was so excited, he said, Dad, they posted me in Fairbanks, that's where I wanted to go. I said, buddy, you know I like encouraging you, but I'm not sure anybody else wanted to be in Fairbanks, but uh, congratulations, I'm happy for you. But the reason he wanted to be is because of Denali, Mount McKinley as it was used to be known. Uh, 20,000 plus feet, 20,320 feet in altitude, the tallest peak in North America. One of the seven summits of the world that, that mountaineers will refer to. Andrew wanted to climb it. Last year he won a training expedition. All year he's been training. He and a couple of other officers are now climbing it. As I speak, Andrew is roped to three other climbers. And because of a radio transmission, we get transcripts most days. They have a satellite uh, phone that they turn on very briefly just to just give a, a report of progress. They're at about 14,200 feet and they're roped together in a technical climb heading up the tallest peak in North America. I happen to know, I know the route well, I've studied it actually one time, I was thinking of perhaps doing it with them, so I know that somewhere in the last 24 hours to 36 hours, they've they've shifted, depending on conditions, they've shifted from snowshoes to crampons, but they're still roped together, and it's going to get steeper and steeper. And here's the deal, when you're roped to other climbers, Everything you do matters, not just to you, but to them. Andrew's behavior, his execution of his tasks will affect the health, the safety, and even the lives of those other climbers. It will affect their enjoyment of the climb. It will affect whether they succeed or not. The same is true of them towards him. That is the body of Christ. How you live affects her health, her enjoyment of the climb and vice versa. We're connected. And we're to relate with each other in that way. But there's a fifth finger. It's very important. I not just look up to God and worship. I don't just look down to scripture and orient my life according to his priorities. I don't just look inside and reflect on who I am and how I'm wired. I don't just look to you to relate as the body of Christ. Here's the deal, here's the fifth finger. And this is what enables us ultimately to be put in the bow of God. I look out to the next opportunity and we activate together. We get going. If you're trying to remember those, it's arrow spelled backwards. I struggled a long time to make that happen, so. But uh, we worship, we orient, we reflect, we relate, but we activate. If I don't put that, 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 that last finger on, the arrow falls out. It's a matter. We're not just here for ourselves. We're here for the glory of God. We're here for His purposes. Go back to the text, verse 6 of Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Are you picking up a pattern there? He said, if you've got the gift, do it. Find a place to exercise it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Pastor Joel read this last week. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I've spent some time trying to mull over that. Each of you should use. So what does that, that word use mean? I've studied in the Greek. What's that word use mean? You know what it means in Greek? It means use. You should use it. Our gifts are not just, this arrow is not just to be put on the wall, it's to go to a target where God wants it to go. And as of last night, Friday night, there's some different places God wants us to go as his people. That's constantly changing. But for us to be the body of Christ, it's a matter of us coming together and exercising our gifts. Uh, As Andrew was, as he's been on this climb, I've reflected back over his journey uh, as a mountaineer because the boys and I have been camping together, I think I've told you before, my wife will tell you she has four boys, three of them her sons and the other one is me, and we've been up in the mountains a lot. And I remember uh, one time before Stephen, the youngest was born, Andrew, the one who's now climbing Denali, he was five years old. And Joel, his younger brother, was two years old. I took him camping one night. It just so happened to be a night that it rained 2.75 inches in 12 hours. It was unbelievable. And we set up camp in the rain. I mean, I was setting it up. It wasn't raining that hard yet. I'm thinking, all right, we got to get going here. And uh, so I had Andrew, a five-year-old, and his help was the equivalent of about a third of an adult, I'm guessing. But then Joel was two years old, and it canceled everything Andrew uh, was doing out. And you know what? I was cool with that. It was absolute chaos. They weren't helping at all. Why wasn't I frustrated? Because of their maturity level. I didn't, I knew. They're little guys. They're not yet matured yet. And with immature people, you don't expect them to help out. But when we begin to mature, there's an expectation that we don't just engage with God for crutch to be healed. We engage with him as arrow to be sent. There's going to be some unique ways that God's going to send this church in different arenas, especially in the hurt that this community is feeling. Let's pray together right now about that very thing. Lord Jesus, our hearts are aching right now with those others in our community who are aching. We hurt with them. And we come to you. And we ask that you enable us to in the midst of the shrapnel to worship, to be still and know that you're God. That you enable us to orient ourselves into what is true in Scripture. That you enable us to reflect on who we are individually, but also enable us to relate with one another as fellow members of the body of Christ. But, oh God, enable us to activate, to take steps and do our gifts as your body. And may the outcome of that be that this city experiences you being here that this city experiences the reality that God is with us.